We all need Thanksgiving. We all need a heart that is grateful. We all need an opportunity to help somebody else. And these are those times. These are the times as we come into the holiday season, it is even more on people's minds of what is important in life, of being thankful for the things that God has already given to us, being thankful for what we have. And as we look at today's message, we are beginning a short three-part series on Thanksgiving. And the theme of these messages is that Thanksgiving should transform us. Thanksgiving should change us. It's not just where Thanksgiving is something that we say for something past, but Thanksgiving has power for the present as well. And it also helps us to look forward to the future. We can give thanks in such a way that our lives are changed because we are thankful. And this is what God would have us to learn. This is what God would have us to be. And this is what God would have us to do. And sharing this with other people is one of the greatest ways of giving thanksgiving. And so next week, when we do have our Thanksgiving luncheon and we do have the opportunity to bring folks, bring them, invite them. Even as the youth group is inviting their friends to the park, let us invite people to share in Thanksgiving. And next week, as we look at God's word and we see that we have so much to be thankful for in Jesus, that God has given us in Christ an indescribable gift that we can be thankful for. And that gift is the gift that everybody can have. Well, today, as we begin this series on Thanksgiving, we're looking at a book of the Bible. We're looking at Psalm, and we're looking at a particular Psalm, Psalm 100. And out of the over 150 Psalms in the Bible, this is the only one, this is the only one that actually has the title, A Psalm of Thanksgiving. And so this is the song. The word Psalm means a, a word of praise to God in music a poem put to music. And so we are going to read this psalm of thanksgiving, and it is a call of worship. It is a call to give thanks to God. And so if you open up your Bible or you look at your outline in Psalm 100, you'll see that the psalm is, is really broken up in two parts. There is a call to give thanks, and that's done twice. And there is a reason why we give thanks. And so I want to read verses 1 to... Um, I have us... I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and have you read verse 3. I'll read verse 4, and you can read verse 5. Okay? So let's say this together, or I'll begin and you can follow. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. No. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. God has given us opportunities of thanksgiving that should overflow all the time. Now, as we, we come to thanksgiving, um, maybe you do this, and I know we do this around our table at Thanksgiving, but we'll often say, what are things that you are thankful for for the past year? And, and I'm sure that as you have heard messages or Sunday school lessons or sermons, those have been the theme. Like, what are you thankful for? So we would say things like, well, I'm, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for, if children would say, well, I'm thankful for my toys. 
or uh, adults, we would say, well, we're thankful for our house. We're, we're thankful for um, the work that we might have. We're thankful for our possessions. We're thankful for food. You know, so we have lots of things that we're thankful for. What's interesting is that as we look at this psalm, and this, is, again, is the only one in the Bible, those things aren't mentioned at all. There's nothing there that says to thank God for our possessions. There's nothing there to say to thank God for the certain gifts that he gives us. There's, it doesn't tell us to count our blessings one by one. You know, there's, there's nothing there that says thank God for the physical things in this life. So this psalm is actually very different than what you and I would normally give thanks to God for. But I believe that this psalm actually hits it right on the head of what is the highest thanksgiving that we can give and the kind of thanksgiving that would change our life so that we could give thanks to God even if we don't have material blessings, even if we don't have the things that we normally give thanks to God. We can still give thanks to him for the reasons that this psalm tells us. For this psalm tells us why we should give thanks, and that is because of God and who he is. And then it also tells us how to give thanks. So the whys are in verses 3 and 5. And the hows are in verses 1, 2, and 4. And we're going to look at the whys first, the reasons why we can give thanksgiving, the reasons why God allows us the opportunity of giving thanks to him. There's a book, a wonderful book written by Margaret Visser, and the title of the book is The Gift of Thanks. The Gift of Thanks. And she says that thanksgiving is like soil. Thanksgiving in our hearts is like soil. It represents the disposition of our lives, the readiness of our lives to either give thanks or to be ungrateful. And so she says that we can have soil in our lives like Thanksgiving. Either it's hard and we just refuse to give thanks, it's, it's brittle and it's ungrateful, it doesn't receive, or it can be cultivated. It can be soft, it can be chilled, it can be raised up so that seeds of thanksgiving can be put into it. And so as we look at these qualities of God, this is the raising up of the soil. This is how God has made us. And indeed, this is what we're going to see as we read in this psalm in verse 3. Know, know that the Lord, he is God. So the first thing that we learn is that the Lord is our God. He is our Jehovah, and that's what Lord means. He is the self-existent one. When the Jewish people would say, what's the name of your God? They would say, his name is Yahweh, or Jehovah. He is the Lord. He, it means to be self-existing. He is the Lord. He is the personal God. Now, God is Elohim, and God means the supreme and mighty one. And so we, as Christians, can say the same thing. The Lord the Lord is the one who knows us and who has made us and who loves us. But the name of our Lord we now know is Jesus. And Jesus is God. And Jesus and God have made us. So he is our Lord and he is our God. And it says at the end of verse 3, it is he who made us, so he is our creator. He is our creator. When you think about it, who taught you? How to say thanks. Who is the person who, who taught you how to be a thankful person? I know for myself, the answer is probably the same as it is for you. It, it is my parents. 
My parents taught me to say thank you. But you know what? No parent can actually make their child mean it, right? You can make them say it, but you can't make them mean it. They only learn to mean it as they grow up. They learn to mean it as they understand the sacrifice that's been given so that they can have something that they're thankful for. They have to mature in such a way that they are able to understand there is a reason for thanksgiving. You just don't, you know, because otherwise it sort of becomes a way you get something, right? So if I say thank you, then I get more. And of course, that's not what we want to teach. We want to say thank you to God so we get more. We want to say thank you to people, aunts and uncles, so they give us more. It wants to be something that comes out of our heart. So when I think back, when did I really learn the meaning of thanksgiving? Who was it that really taught me not only how to say thank you, but to mean it? I have to go back to when I was 16 years old and when I met Jesus. And that was really the beginning of my understanding of how to really mean it when I say thanks. Because it was at that time that I began to learn about God and know that he loved me and know that he died for me and know that everything that I have in life is a gift from him from the very moment that I was made. And that's what this scripture says. And how is it that I should give thanksgiving to God? In that I was made, it was that he made me. He gave me life. My Lord, my God, he, he chose me. He designed me. And that's true of you. He made you. He designed you. You're here because he loves you. You were in his heart when eternity began. He decided that you are worth it and you are valuable. And we read about this in Colossians chapter 1. We read about how when we look at the Old Testament, we see a God who cares and who loves, but who's, who's still distant. But now in the New Testament, we have a God who cares and who loves, who is present. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, the Bible says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. God created all things in Jesus. Jesus was there with God in creation. Jesus was the power-making creation. He is the Lord, and he holds it all together. And so the reasons for our gratefulness is that Jesus is our God. Jesus is our creator. And then the Bible says, and we are his. He is our rightful owner. He is our sovereign ruler, as it says in verse 3. We are also his, and we are his people. So not only does he own us, but we are his people. We are the ones who are his subjects. He is our king, and he is our God. He is our Lord. He is our ruler. He is our owner. But he's not a mean owner. He's not a rude ruler. But we see that he is one who is like a shepherd who takes care of his sheep in his own pasture. And so we see that he is also our gracious benefactor. 
And so we have a Lord in Jesus Christ who, yes, he is our owner. Yes, he is our ruler. But he is also one who loves to give to us. And every good gift that we ever have and every good gift that we ever receive is a gift of a shepherd who loves his sheep, who loves holding his sheep, who loves carrying them near him. You know, sheep, they're not fast. They're not swift. They're not strong. And they're not smart. But they are always safe and secure when they're near their shepherd. So I want you to think of anything that is in your life right now where you have a need. Maybe there's a health need. Maybe there's a financial need. Maybe there's an issue at work where you have a need and, and you don't know the answers. And, and just going to work is hard. Maybe it's a relationship need. Maybe it's a, a mental or emotional need. Whatever that need is. And God cares about it. And Jesus cares about you. And he wants to hold you near himself. You know, he may not always fix the problem, but he will always fix himself to us if we come near him. He will walk through it with us. He will care about us. Even in the Old Testament, God pointed to Jesus, and this psalm points to Jesus in every way. Psalm 100 points to Jesus in the New Testament, as we saw there in Colossians chapter 1, and as we'll see in just a bit when we get to John. But first, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, the Bible says of God, He is like a shepherd. He will care for His flock, gathering the lambs in His arms, hugging them as He carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pasture. God wants to hold us near Himself. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament picture of a shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And, and maybe we've heard that verse many ways in many different versions. But, but this particular version, called the Young's Literal Translation, helps us to see how personal God is and how personal he wants us to relate to him, not as a God who is far off and who's all-powerful and who's way up in the heavens, but a God who came to earth, who put his feet on the dirt, who put his feet in the soil, and who held the dirty lambs and who held them near his, his heart, who washed them and cleansed them and cared for them. And he says there in John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by mine according as the Father doth know me. And I know the Father, and my life I lay down for the sheep. And I like that because in the literal way, as we see this passage, we see all these personal pronouns, I and my and mine. This is who we are to God. We are his. He is our owner. He is our ruler. And he is our benefactor. And he is good. So the sixth thing that we see about God of the seven qualities in this passage is that he is full of goodness, and this goodness is full of loving kindness. In verse 5, for the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Whatever you're going through, and whatever you will go through, and even whatever you've gone through, God has been good to you. And God remains good. The word good means beautiful and pleasant. And God's love to us in his goodness is steadfast. 
And that word is loving kindness. It can be also translated mercy or unfailing love. That God is full of goodness to you and to me. God is full of loving kindness to all of us. And he will never, ever change. He is always the same. In a world that is ever-changing, God is always the same. He is always faithful, and he is always true to all generations. As we see at the end of verse 5, and his faithfulness goes to all generations. There is a lasting relationship that God has for his people. There is a lasting relationship that God wants us as a church and as a people to share with everyone else. You know, the, the vision of our church is to teach the next generation of the love of God that they might continue to also continue to teach that to the generation after them. And the promises of God is that his faithfulness will be in truth and real to every generation as long as this earth shall last, that God is not fickle and God cannot change and that his relationship to us is one that he wants to envelop always and forever. This is the God whom we know. And as we know God in this way, then we are able to know how to give thanks. And then we see how the psalmist helps us here. So we know the why, and now we learn the ways and means of which we give this thanks. So we, we look at verse 1, and having had this foundation of, of knowing who God is, we now know how we can give him thanks. And so the first thing is in verse 1, he says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Shout! Is another translation, shout to the Lord all the earth. And the word shout means to split the ears and to shout loudly. And what we're shouting to is we're shouting to all the earth. We're wanting the whole world to know that God is good. And this is our part of the world where God has given to us to let the world know that he is good. Here in Orange County, here in the United States, that God would have us to shout with gladness that God is a God worthy of worship, to serve the Lord with gladness. Margaret Visser in his book says there's a second way that we can see thanksgiving. So the first way is that we see it as a soil that, that needs to be tilled and cultivated so that it can receive the nutrients of thanksgiving. But the second thing she says is that it's also like a lubricant. The thanksgiving is something that helps us to move smoothly in relationships. It helps so that there is the giving of that which is, goes back and forth. And if you ever had something like a tool that got rusty, you know that it, it doesn't work well at all. It, it doesn't fulfill its function until it's re-oiled, until lubricants are put in it. We have to put lubricants in our cars so that the min engine remains, that it can continue to deal with all the heat and all the friction and continue to work well. And the oil needs to be changed because it can get dirty. And so there needs to be this lubricant in our life of a continual change in our life that is brought about by a refreshing of God's presence that happens as we give back to him the things that he's given to us. Well, he's given us himself. And so we give him back ourselves. And the Bible says we do that with joyfulness. We do that with, with shouts of pleasure. We do that by letting other people know that he is God by worshiping him. And we can worship him by serving him. And in some of our Bibles, that is the translation, to serve the Lord with gladness. The ESV has it that way. The NIV says to worship the Lord with gladness. 
But in both situations, it is a public showing to the world of, of who God is. It is a public showing of our worship and of our, our joy, and that this service comes not out of guilt, as, as Alice shared with us about serving the children, that it was, comes out of love. It comes out of a willingness to give to others who, who are so little, who couldn't do it on their own. You know, we just don't put the kids in room and say, you know, have a good day. They need somebody to help them or they won't have a good day. They need somebody to guide them and we are like that. And God has given us himself and we give back ourselves to serve him. But it doesn't say like to serve the church, right? It says to serve him. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 7, we have these words of how we can serve God in our daily lives. It says in verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. So whatever, what is your job? Everybody here has a job. What is your job? Maybe your job, you know, you know where it is, you go to work, you, you time in, you time out, that's your job. For some of us, our job is within our home. We're housemakers, we're homemakers. We raise our children, that's our job. Some of us, as children, our job is as students. Our job is, is being part of a family. All of us have a job. So what's your job? How do you see yourself working? The Bible says, see yourself working, doing that for God. Being a lawyer for God, a teacher for God, a physician for God, an engineer for God, a businessman for God, a mother for God, a housemaker for God, a student for God. Whatever it is that is your job, whatever it is you see, for me, a pastor, not for you, but for God. This is my highest call. This is our highest call. That everything that we do, that's a service to God. God would have us to see us as doing it for him. And to do it wholeheartedly, Paul says to the Ephesians. That God would have us to serve him. And to give of our best to him. That is our worship. And we do it with joy. We do it with gladness. In Matthew chapter 25 Verse 37 and 40, Jesus says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in and needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And Jesus identifies himself with the poorest of the poor, with the brokenness of little children who don't have enough, with those who have needs, with those who may be hungry, with those who may be in prison. Those who are in prison have sinned. And God cares for them. And he wants us to go and to visit them. Those who are in prison also are those who are persecuted. And God would have us to go and to be with them and to share with them and to love them. God would have us to be one with them in sowing that when we do it for them, we do it for him. We have those great opportunities, as was in our announcements. 
with the Operation Christmas Child, for those of us who brought our, our shoe boxes and can give them so that they can be taken over um, to the warehouses so they can be shipped all around the world. Now this year, the warehouse literally not only is in our backyard, it, it's in our neighborhood, it's in our front yard, okay? Because the warehouse this year for Operation Christmas Child is in Irvine, okay? So, so it, last year it was in Huntington Beach and we had to sort of drive through the traffic to get there. Well, this year, you know, you can walk there if you want. I think it's over by Diamond Jamboree. Um, and so we have the sign-ups afterwards on the back table where you can sign up to be part of that and, and to go and to help to put the shoeboxes together. But there are so many other ways during Christmas time to care for the needs of others. Uh, soon we'll be hearing about the children when we get the names of the children in Mexicali that we'll be able to buy gifts for. But better than buying gifts for them, going down and being with them and, and sharing God's love with them and, and showing them God's love by our presence. There's other ways, as you will find out, as you yourselves are just aware through your emails and, and different things that are sent to you by mail, that you can serve by, by giving gifts to others online, those that are poor through Operation Christmas Child or through World Vision or through Gospel for Asia, through Compassion International, through countless means that God gives us opportunities to share our lives and to serve the Lord with gladness. To make somebody else glad is a way of gladness for ourselves. A third way in which we can show our thanksgiving to God is by learning to sing in all circumstances. By learning to sing no matter what happens and no matter what comes in our lives. In verse 2, the Bible says, Come before the Lord, come into his presence with singing. To come into his presence with singing. And God would have us to know that we can go to Jesus. We can go to God with our songs, no matter what we're facing. The word presence means face. That means no matter what we're facing, we can go into the presence of God to see his face and to be near him and to share no matter what circumstance we're going through. I know especially now, even in light of what we were praying for, what happened in France, and the things that can happen in our own lives, sometimes in this world, it just seems almost impossible to sing. I know many of you are just going through maybe the roughest times of your life right now, going through something really difficult, or maybe this past year was the roughest year of your life, and yet God would still say, without apology, sing. Sing in spite of those times. Sing in those times. Sing to those times. Sing to the Lord in spite of whatever circumstance you're in. In Acts chapter 16, we have an example of this. This type of thanksgiving that can happen under any circumstance. If you can give thanks under these circumstances, you can give thanks under any circumstance. In Acts 16, we read this. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And so Paul and Silas had been flogged. They were bleeding. They were broken. They were bruised. They were hurting. But they were still singing to God. And God would say, you know, and I know this is hard. This is very hard for me, but when I'm going through a hard time, God says, sing. Sing anyway. 
sing to me. And when we can sing in hard times, our lives can be a blessing to other people. People, the jailer and others, came to know Jesus because Paul and Silas were singing hymns even though they were in prison. Are you having difficulties in your marriage? Are you having difficulties with your parents? Are you having difficulties in school? Are you having difficulties in your job? Are you finding it hard to make ends meet? Are you emotionally struggling with things like depression or sadness or feeling overwhelmed? God says you can still sing. We can still sing. It's easier. We sing together. Then we, nobody has to hear us sing a solo. And that is good. But you know what? No matter how bad your voice is, God loves your voice. God loves to hear the sound of your voice. He loves to hear you sing. And he especially loves to hear us sing when the circumstances don't normally call for that. And it expresses our thanksgiving. It expresses our faith that we can do this even when things aren't the way we normally would want for thanksgiving. We can praise him. And it's transforming in our lives. And it's transforming in the lives of others. And then the fourth way in which we, we show our thanksgiving to God is by seeking to know him intimately. Know the Lord, it says in verse 3. Know him. And this is the same word that we find throughout the Old Testament, that whenever a husband and wife came together, the Bible said that they knew each other and the result was children. They knew each other. It was the way the Bible talked about intimacy between a husband and a wife. And God is saying, I want you to know me. To, I want you to be intimate and know me as your Lord. To know me as your God. Margaret Visser says there is a third way in which thanksgiving can be pictured as glue. As glue. So the first way was soil. Where God wants our hearts to be soft so we can receive thanksgiving and be nurtured and grow. And the second way was as an oil or a lubricant so that we don't get rusty and creak and break, but we remain soft and supple and we have ins and outs and we can share. But the third way is as a glue that bonds us together. Thanksgiving makes us stronger. It brings a cohesive unit when something is broken and something is fragmented. When you glue it, it becomes stronger and it becomes one again and thanksgiving can do that in our lives and as we know god and as we are thankful for him as we come close to him we become glued to him we become cohesive with him and we come to him with thanksgiving and we come to him in his temple, and we come to him in his courts, and we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And I believe that this is a picture of prayer, that God would have us to pray with thanksgiving, to pray with thanksgiving and praise, and to bless God, to bless him. Now, most of the time, as we said, that we give thanks to God for the blessings he already has given to us, but the picture here in this psalm is something almost the opposite, where we are not thanking God for the blessings he's giving us, but we are blessing God for the things that he is going to give to us in the future, not the things that we already have. We are thanking God for things that we want before he's even given them to us. But look at the picture there in verse 4. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and we enter into his courts with praise. 
Now, this was the gates and this was the courts of the tabernacle to David. Later, when the temple was born, was made, it was the same thing where there would be gates entering into the temple and people, the Jewish people might enter and they would go through the gate. If you were a Gentile, you could go through the gate and there was a court there for you. But the Gentiles couldn't go any closer into the temple. Only the Jews could. And so there was a court for the Jews and they could go a little closer to the temple of God. But when they got into the temple area where there was the court of the Gentiles, there was a great big altar and a laver there in the temple area. Not yet in the temple where the Holy of Holies was or the holy place, but rather outside of it, there was an altar there and a place for them to wash. It was a reminder they had to cleanse themselves to be clean. And nobody could go any further than that except the priests. But the priests could go into what was called the holy place within the temple and there they could worship God. But the priests, not all of them could go into the presence of God. Only one high priest, and only once a year, could actually go into what was called the Holy of Holies within the temple. So only one person, representative of all the people, and only once a year, could go into the presence of God. But this psalm is telling us that all of us can go into the presence of God. We can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We can go into his temple. We can go into his presence. And what was the purpose of the temple? In Isaiah 56, verse 7, the Bible says that my house, my temple, will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And so the purpose of the temple was to pray. And the purpose of coming near to God is to enjoy a relationship of prayer, a conversation with God, that we would be able to worship him. And so what this picture is, is that we're actually going into the temple to praise God and thank him even before we've offered to him our prayers. We are offering thanksgiving while we're in the courts. We haven't even yet got into the presence of God. But while we enter into the courts, we're still outside of the temple. We're already thanking him. And so this is a psalm of faith that says, I am going to thank God even before I ask God for the things that I want. Whereas normally we thank God for the things we already have, this psalm is teaching us that if we have true and great and biblical thanksgiving, we will thank God for the things that we don't yet have. Trusting and knowing that he will give us what we need. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the Bible says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and so we come into the temple, we come into the presence of God by going through Jesus. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And we see the same picture here in Philippians that we saw in Psalm 100, is that we bring our prayers, we bring our petitions to God with thanksgiving. And then we present our requests to God. That great thanksgiving, that biblical thanksgiving, is the kind of thanksgiving that thanks God first 
even before he's given us what we want. To have a heart of thanks, to know that God gives us everything we need. He gives us everything we want. Now, we don't know always what we need. We do know always what we want. But God knows always what we need. Philip Keller, um, a pastor in New York, an uh, amazing uh, pastor, preacher, and writer. And he said this as he was reflecting on Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, about God giving us the command to give thanksgiving even before we get our requests. And he said, you know, sometimes we have unanswered prayers because God is teaching us this, that we must learn to wait on him. But Dr. Keller says this, that when he was praying and asking God, what does this mean that I have to give you thanks even before I get what I want? Why is there unanswered prayer? And the answer that, that God shared with, with Keller was this, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. If they knew everything I know. In other words, God knows everything, and we don't. He will give us what we need, and we can be thankful for that that no matter what we ask for, he will give us what is right. He will never give us what is wrong. That we have a God that we can always be thankful for. We have a God that we can glue ourselves to. We have a God that we can know in Jesus. And he is the God of grace. He is the God of love. He is the God has given us life. And for that, we should always be thankful. Now and forever. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we often close our prayers with amen. But how true it is, Lord, that we can begin our prayers with amen. So be it. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. We thank you now for everything we want in life. We thank you for the answers to every prayer that we're praying the prayer that we're asking for peace, Lord, we thank you that you've answered that. The prayer that we're asking you to help us in our jobs, we thank you that you've already answered that. The prayer that we're asking you to help us with a difficult relationship or a broken relationship, we thank you, Lord, that you've already answered that. We thank you, Lord, that you've already answered the prayers for healing in our lives, over hurt, over sadness, over depression. We thank you, Lord, that you've already answered every prayer that we've asked this week for every need that's come across our path for every frustration for everything that's made us angry for anything that's made us depressed for all the questions that we don't have answers to we thank you lord that you've already answered those we thank you lord that you never give us what we don't need we thank you lord that you always give us what you know is best we thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus, we can be absolutely certain of this, that he is our Lord and he is our God. And you came here to show us your ways through him who died for us. We thank you most of all for Jesus who died on the cross that we might have life. We thank you, Lord, for you. Amen.